Hey guys, uh, when the People at Happiness Lab uh, podcast approached me about doing a promotional episode of their podcast, uh, I thought it sounded like a good fit. So uh, I am just going to pass along the info that, that they gave me about it. And uh, I hope it's something you check out and uh, that you find helpful or entertaining. And uh, here we go. On the Happiness Lab, Yale professor Dr. Lori Santos shares evidence-based strategies to help you live a more joyful life. Every episode, Lori is joined by guests like Grateful Dead drummer Mickey Hart, Star Trek's Will Wheaton, and viral Instagram illustrators Liz and Molly. And together, they explore the science of the mind to discover the best way to flex your friendship muscles, unravel the mystery of why fear and pain can feel good, and examine the you-only-live-once philosophy and why it doesn't work like you think. And like we do here on this podcast, Lori speaks honestly about mental health and shares the sometimes surprising but always science-backed ways we can truly improve our lives. In this preview, Lori is joined by a handful of insightful guests, including best-selling author Daniel Pink, to talk about a feeling so many of us have experienced, regret. We often think that in order to be happy, we should shield ourselves from painful emotions, and there's no doubt about it, feeling regret blows. But Dan argues that regret can actually be an instructive emotion that can be used as a force for good in our lives. So check out the rest of the episode to learn how you can use regret as a superpower to create the version of yourself that you most want to be, the version that can lead you to a happier, more authentic life. You can find The Happiness Lab wherever you get podcasts. I'm going through a breakup right now. And so that's there's regret in choosing to be together and there's regret in also choosing to be apart. We all replay dumb things we did in the past. I think a lot of my regret stems from like school work. Every school year comes around and I'm like, this year I'm going to do better. And then like, I don't. Or fret about the things we didn't do. I was afraid to come out for a long time to my parents. It was that fear of rejection, regardless of whether they would have really rejected me. I was like hiding myself for two other people. And that is something that I regret a lot. From time to time, regret sets up shop in all our heads and makes us wonder about what we coulda, shoulda, or woulda done differently. I'd done a lot of mistakes. Like, I spent a lot of money. I paid for a lot of people. I got used by a lot of people. And I did not know my worth. Our feelings of regret mostly kind of suck. We can experience it as a mild pang, a sort of throbbing emotional toothache. But sometimes the anguish of regret reduces us to tears or saddles us with grief that lasts a lifetime. I was in a relationship and it was very toxic. I should have put my foot down way earlier because now it kind of affects me to this day. And it's just like, dang, I could have prevented all of this, these feelings from happening if I just would have left it in the beginning. And so it's natural to fantasize about a life without this painful emotion, to strive to be without the burn that comes from looking back. I mean, who needs regrets? Hashtag no regrets. I do not believe in regrets or have any regrets in my life. My mistakes are me. But is the whole no regrets thing really right? I mean, could it be possible that embracing regret is the key to living a better, more authentic, and even a happier life? Our minds are constantly telling us what to do to be happy. But what if our minds are wrong? What if our minds are lying to us, leading us away from what will really make us happy? The good news is that understanding the science of the mind can point us all back in the right direction. You're listening to The Happiness Lab with me, Dr. Laurie Santos. 
Hey, I'm Malcolm Gladwell. Here's my regret. When I graduated from college, I had this idea that I would spend a year in Jamaica getting a graduate degree at the University of West Indies. My instinct was that my early 20s were the perfect moment to broaden my horizons, experience a new culture, and take a risk. Instead, I moved to Indiana. Oh man, I blew it. Life is full of choices. Forks in the road where we have to pick one path or the other. Sometimes we make those decisions under pressure, or with incomplete information, or at times when we're not our calmest, most rational selves. And sometimes, once we begin to regret the path we've taken, it's too late to turn around. That's how it was for author and illustrator Liz Vaseline. As the child of European immigrants, Liz spent a lot of her youth traveling back and forth to visit relatives. I just have a lot of happy childhood memories there, and it felt like a link to this bigger family that I don't feel that I have in the U.S., But with families, it's not always vacations and holiday get-togethers. There are sometimes emergencies and bereavements. So my grandmother died when I was in my early 20s. And my mom, who rarely shows emotion or asks for much, asked me to go with her to pack up the house. Liz dropped everything, right? I mean, she wasn't going to let down her mom at the very moment she needed her presence and support the most. And I said no. Liz had just landed a great new consulting job, a position she'd badly wanted and had worked hard to win. I was like, I have so much going on at work. I just can't take two weeks off for an international trip. It's just too much for me to take on right now. And so Liz's mom flew across the Atlantic to deal with the death of her mother all alone. Decades later, that decision still causes Liz tremendous anguish. Like even now, I'm like starting to get tears in my eyes because I think of my mom alone on this eight-hour plane ride to go pack up like her childhood and my childhood and our link to our family. Though painful, regrets like these are a creative spur for Liz. Along with author Molly Westuffy, she's part of a duo known online as Liz and Molly. They're responsible for a popular Instagram feed of illustrations that show how we can deal with all kinds of painful feelings, the types of things that we too often keep to ourselves. There's just so much, especially when we talk about big feelings that all of us are experiencing on a daily basis that we don't share with people. I'm a huge fan of Liz and Molly's work. I share their simple yet powerful cartoons with my students all the time. They're not just poignant, clever, and funny. They also include lots of science-backed tips for dealing with those big feelings. So you can imagine my excitement when I heard that the duo were also putting out a new book. It's called Big Feelings, How to Be Okay When Things Are Not Okay. The book gives advice for navigating seven of our most painful negative emotions. The usual emotional culprits, things like sadness, anger, and even burnout. But there's also one that doesn't get as much attention. You guessed it, regret. Research shows that it's one of the most common emotions that people feel. I think it's after love or something like that. Some studies estimate that over 90% of people report having severe regret about some decision they've made in their lives. Over 90% of people... That's basically everyone. And yet, one of the misconceptions about regret is that it's actually even possible for us to live that hashtag no regrets life. It's just a completely inaccurate view of the world. There is no life in which you will have no regrets. A second misconception goes something like this. Okay, so maybe I can't have a perfectly hashtag no regrets existence, but I'd definitely be able to have a hashtag mostly no regrets life if only I could get everything I want. We assume that if we had the perfect job and a swanky house and an amazing partner, that we'd never experience that painful twinge of what if. But this too is a spot where our minds are lying to us. 
And part of that is because you can only choose one life. Even if your current life path is mostly awesome, there's probably something great out there in the universe that you're not going to get a chance to experience. Another fork in the road you could have chosen but didn't. And sometimes we can't help but regret not taking it. And we also have a tendency to put on rose-colored glasses when we consider that alternate path, especially in moments when our current reality is a little harder. I feel like we have a lot to learn about regret. So I decided to call in an expert. My name is Daniel Pink. I'm the author of The Power of Regret, How Looking Backward Moves Us Forward. Daniel developed what he calls the World Regret Survey, which collected the experiences of tens of thousands of people from more than 100 countries. It's one of the largest databases of regrets ever. With all that data to draw on, I was hoping that Daniel could give us a bit of a crash course on regret, starting with a definition. I think one way to start is that a regret is an emotion, and it's an emotion that makes us feel bad. And it's emotion that arises from, I think, some really fascinating and interesting powers of our brain. Regret requires a few complicated and possibly unique cognitive abilities. The first of these is the ability to accept blame. Unlike other negative emotions, like, say, disappointment, regret requires agency. We can only regret stuff that we caused. You experience regret because it's your fault. Regret also requires the capacity to time travel. Regret forces us to hop in a mental time machine and travel back to some remembered event of the past. And once we get there, our brains engage in a third impressive cognitive feat, what Daniel calls fabulism. We imagine making a different decision than we actually made. And then what's even more crazy is that we negate that experience. We get back in our time machine. We arrive back in the present and we now see a present that is reconfigured because of this decision that we've undone in the past. And that's the final cognitive superpower we engage in when feeling regret, what's known as counterfactual thinking. We create a new, completely imaginary timeline that runs counter to the facts. And there are two kinds of counterfactual thinking. One of them is known as a downward counterfactual. So that is, we imagine how things could have been worse. Downward counterfactuals often involve the phrase, well, at least. So let's say you miss your morning flight because you spent too long getting ready. You might engage in a downward counterfactual and say things like, well, at least there was a later flight. Or, well, at least I didn't miss my connection. Downward counterfactuals help us remember that it could have been worse. They usually make us feel better. But less helpfully, we also engage in upward counterfactuals. Which is how you imagine things could have been better. Upward counterfactuals make us say, if only. If only I had spent a year in Jamaica. If only I had helped my mom when she needed me. If only I had done this thing or that thing differently, then everything now would be so much better. I kind of regret going to college. I might have like ended up, I don't know, working on a flower farm. Upward counterfactuals convince us that we've totally screwed things up. They kind of make us feel like crap. And sadly, they also dominate our thoughts. Because uh, I'm a, a lawyer. But it would have been nice to find something that I'm passionate about. An actress, a science teacher, or I'm going to be a doctor because I love health, nutrition, that kind of stuff. Researchers have looked at how often we use each of these two kinds of counterfactuals. Those painful, if only, counterfactuals they beat out the nicer feeling of at least counterfactuals more than 80% of the time. We are biased, in this case, toward the negative. We're biased toward the upward counterfactual, toward the if-onlys. I think the interesting thing here as we try to sort out the puzzle is, you know, why would we do that? 
Why would we be prone to do something that makes us feel worse? And so there must be something about this that confers a benefit. There must be something about this that is adaptive. So becoming happier must involve banishing those negative if-onlys, right? Well, Daniel argues that wouldn't be such a smart thing to do. I'm all for positivity, all right? I'm all for positive emotions. But here's the thing. I don't want to have only positive emotions because negative emotions serve a function. I think that no regrets, the philosophy of no regrets, that you should never look backward, you should always look forward, never be negative, always be positive, is a profoundly bad idea. I think it is an unhealthy recipe for living. I think what we have to do is actually use our regrets as information, as signal, as data. Not ignore them, not wallow in them, but use them to help clarify what we value and instruct us on how to live better. Well, that was a preview of the Happiness Lab. I hope you enjoyed it, and you can hear more from the Happiness Lab wherever you listen to your podcasts.